I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm sure those of you who are working in schools may well have now finished for the Christmas holidays. I do hope you have a fantastic time with your families and and your loved ones. I know from personal experience that I also spend quite a lot of time commuting and driving around the country at this time of year. So I did wonder about maybe taking a break on the podcast over the holiday season. But actually, I think very often I'm looking forward to being able to either catch up with some back episodes of things or also just sort of keep that momentum going. So what I've decided to do is I'll do a kind of a roundup of the year and some of my thoughts of things that I've learned, which I'll release on Boxing Day. And then we'll just keep going then and keep these two episodes a week going out so that if you are in a position to listen and you want to keep up with everything that's going on, then and you have that right in your earbuds. Now today I'm delighted to be chatting to Dr. Marnie Ginsberg, and she's the founder of Reading Simplified, whose mission is to support busy, overwhelmed teachers learn a research-based system of effective and efficient instruction that accelerates all students' reading achievement. Marnie's surprise at finding so many of the middle school students in her class reading well below their grade spurred a passion for finding and disseminating solutions. What followed included private tutoring, university research, the creation of an evidence-based reading programme and ultimately the development of Reading Simplified. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Marnie Ginsberg. Hi Marnie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I always love this idea of how education and people able to bring their skills from so many different areas back into education as well and using the idea of of business owners and entrepreneurship and, and all those things to kind of have that sort of holistic and whole world view of how people can help education in so many different ways. So first of all, thanks so much for being here. It's my treat. Thank you, Mark. So tell us exactly, Reading Simplified, where did it start from? What's the origins and sort of how, how did you sort of get to where you are today? Well, it's it's been a long road. Reading Simplified was created in, say, maybe around 2015, first started actually teaching teachers with a product called the Reading Simplified Academy in 2016. But the roots of it really are in the late 90s when I was a public school teacher. Um, middle school teacher. I was teaching mostly English language arts, and I was trained to try to help these kids become better in comprehending, learn more vocabulary, be good, become better writers. But I was realizing these sixth grade kids were on average reading at the fourth grade level. And uh, that was very distressing to me. And also it was distressing because I had no idea how to teach them that what they needed. Um, they didn't know how to read the words and I didn't have any training on how to do that. And so that began what's really an obsession with solving this question of how do you teach anyone how to read? Um, what's the most efficient and effective way to do that? And it, uh, really became, uh, desperate when I had two kids come into my class that were 
reading, not even reading at the first grade level. And so I finally found something after lots of searching at the library and the bookstore and the early days of the internet, I found something called Reading Reflex. It's a book and I had it on my lap in before school or after school to try to teach these kids how to read and it actually made a big difference in just a couple months. They got up to the third grade level, which was great, but they were still far behind. And so then I started tutoring um, because I was really struck by how important this is that everyone learns to read the words I didn't think it was going to it should be that hard that a child could get to sixth grade and be seven you know seven years of school and and still be so far behind and so I tutored got had great results with that then went to um, the university and um, learned a lot more about the research and actually when I was there I realized oh we actually know a lot about how to teach reading it's just not getting disseminated and I had a really unusual experience of the U.S. federal government was giving some money to a professor that I was working with um, to create a reading intervention for kindergarten and first grade children. And I got to lead the development of that project, of, of not the project, but the actual intervention. So we, we created um, an approach to teach the kids and first start with teaching the teachers. And these teachers in rural, low-income communities pulled aside a child one um, just one at a time for like 15 minutes in the middle of their regular classroom and they pulled aside a struggling reader did our short little intervention with these kids and these kids got significant results and their multiple journals have have demonstrated that so that was very exciting to see that we that when you applied the the research um, kids could learn to read which is you know is not unique it has been found other places but even though that um, that intervention, the targeted reading intervention, has been published many times as in on the U.S. Uh, what Works Clearinghouse. It didn't really seep out into what was going on in the U.S. or many other English-speaking countries. And so I started reading Simplified as more of a grassroots approach. Back to your introduction, like, it, you know, the, the university um, approach was very exciting. I learned a lot. We made a big difference in that, in, in those schools. But um, I was trying for another um, method to make an impact. And so Reading Simplified is a professional learning um, opportunity for teachers all over the world to learn how to streamline their instruction and accelerate reading achievement. And we do that through primarily an online um, membership, which includes mainly a, a course. So there's a lot of online, you know, on-demand video to learn a streamlined approach to teaching anyone how to read using the latest of, of what we know from research and um, m making it easier for teachers who are busy and, and, and missed out on the essence of what they needed in their university prep, which um, may be something we want to talk about. It's really quite common. And just like my experience, and I, I wasn't that unusual. A lot of people have been um, not given the greatest and uh, latest in how to teach reading uh, across the English-speaking world. And I think really that it's such a sad situation, isn't it? But I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's you know, if you didn't quite get it when you started you might get some kind of extra professional development, but we're going to do it at the end of this semester or beginning of next semester. Or in the meantime, you've had a whole cohort of pupils coming through your class or, or that you've been right. doing, which you, you're, you're, like I say, you're swimming slightly because you don't quite know um, what it was. So 
if, and if you could just sort of sort of specifically one or two things what was it that you kind of came across and that you sort of helped teach that makes the big difference and i suppose that sort of personalized one-to-one is, is going to be part of that it. was helpful sure um but also the me- the techniques can work in a large group well what's a strange thing that's been going on for really uh, 50 years or more in um again not just the u.s but most english-speaking countries although i believe england is on the cutting edge england specifically it's cutting on the cutting edge of making some changes that are going to be more aligned with science but we've been dealing with um, an ideology for many years that um, kids learn to read words by recognizing them as holes. And of course, people have um, off and on taught phonics, like the knowledge of individual letter sounds that that represent certain sounds, um, letters that represent certain sounds, I should say, so that SH represents sh. Well, but that's often been either... um, a secondary option or um, just explored haphazardly. And this is what research has shown roundly uh, is ineffective. Um, And so that, again, was kind of what I was dealing with as a a young teacher. And a lot of teachers have been taught this over and over again that, well, it's more important to, like, make sure kids use context, look at the picture, Uh, think about what could come next to read an unfamiliar word and um, that more recently has been defined as the three cueing approach but which again has been very clearly debunked by scientists but it's pervasive in most schools and so if that was the worldview when you actually present um, how our code works our written language is a code for sounds one of the then then kids can figure it out much more easily and so one of the insights also from research is that um, the key to one of the keys to unlock this code is not just being taught the phonics information that sh is sh and oa is o but also that you link that with uh, what's called phonemic awareness and that's the knowledge that uh, or the awareness of individual sounds and words so and if i say the word shout there are three phonemes or three sounds sh out even though there are several letters those there's only just three sounds and and some kids pick that up quite naturally and so the they crack the code easily but a majority of our kids do not discover that and we need to teach it to them so when we when we're teaching them the phonics information if we can link it with what sound do you hear at the beginning of shout and help them unglue those components, um, then they become good code crackers, so to speak. And once you um, decode a word and you've cracked how the sounds and symbols relate and you read it two or three times, then it's more likely to become something you recognize automatically, which is uh, one of our early goals for becoming good readers, right? We have to recognize thousands of words in the split second. And so um this is this information about the importance of phonemic awareness has certainly um, gained ground in many teaching circles but it's probably not reached um, the the public you don't talk about it a lot in the newspaper or cocktail parties but what I was doing in the 90s from that program and what I continue to um to continue to do and develop is is integrate 
how the child hears the sounds with the print on the page in as many ways as possible because reading is really uh, the act of connecting multiple things. You're going to connect meaning, you're going to connect those sounds in the words, the phonemic components, you're going to com- connect the spelling systems. All of that uh, in the brain is is just building lots and lots of connections at the lowest level and, and in larger and larger chunks. And so if you could make it really plain to the child how to hear the sounds and words, like what what's that second sound in cloud, cloud, and match those onto those particular letters, C-L-O-U-D, then kids pick it up quite quickly because they come to us with an amazing system of language. They already know lots, thousands of words in, their, in terms of their meaning, um, and they can hear those sounds. We just need to draw their attention to them, and then they're... They can catch fire with their reading um, <laughs> ability. And one of the things I'm I'm always fascinated about, and I, and I certainly have this when I'm teaching my sort of music and sort of drums and percussion lessons, is that is that understanding that when you're doing something new, your brains literally can only cope with so many things at a time, and part of that is creating the environment where it's okay to fail and experiment, right. which kind of which kind of takes the the pressure off as well, and also that repetition. And and also that that understanding that it might seem like you're using every ounce of your head in order to work this out at this moment, but I can tell you that in five minutes when we've done it a few times, it's going to be a bit different, and then tomorrow that's done, and then we'll go to the next ones. And and right. when they start to understand the process of that, and I know how you explain that to a child is different depending on their age and and obviously with their development, but that sort of understanding that oh, I now understand the concept in whichever form that comes that suddenly I think just relaxes them and I think they seem to then progress as well and and like I say what you're then doing is you're like you're, you're putting the reading side of it onto that and I'm just curious if, if you sort of felt the same sorts of thing absolutely I love that um because learning any new skill reading is actually has some um you know significant overlap with learning an instrument it's hard at the beginning and um so sometimes we need to just give them, you know, give it to them straight. Like, this is what you've done. Um, and you're, look at where you've come from. This specifically was not something you knew yesterday. And now you know this. And tomorrow you will know more. And so that's, that's often helpful, particularly for older struggling readers. Because they've had years of failure. And so I want to be really clear with them about um the feedback of this is what you've accomplished and be very clear and not just give them like, um, Oh, a high five. I'm so proud of you. But specifically you learned, um, all of your short vowels this week. Um, the other thing that really helps though with, um, with motivation is seeing this success. So me, we may be pointing it out to them because it's not that clear, but if they can also make rapid gains themselves, then, um, they, they, they know they're being successful. So that's one of the t- things that, that we're trying to do with Reading Simplified and a few other syst- other programs who have a, a similar approach that's coming from what the child already knows and just drawing their attention to um, how phonics fits into that, at least in those beginning stages of reading. We often see really fast results, and that, that, that builds everybody's... Um, enthusiasm both the child and the teacher yeah for sure um and and you sort of mentioned that sort of reading simplified is there to support 
teachers and and to give them that insight and, and, and that sort of development how do you find that process i find it interesting in terms of what like we said before you know there might be some professional development in school um are you finding this is teachers coming to you because they they know that they're they need that extra support and they're able to buy into it yes. themselves and kind of basically upskill themselves or is it a question of a school or a district coming in to help or maybe it's a combination of both right yeah it's you know they're no teacher got into this business because she or he didn't want to make an impact in the life of a child. And we have so many kids in English-speaking countries who are so far behind in reading, and these teachers are realizing they don't have the training to help kids, particularly some of our struggling readers. Here in the U.S., we have um, national data that indicates 65% of our fourth graders are not proficient at reading. And so teachers... um, are already overwhelmed with the task of teaching generally, but they know that that reading issue is a desperate one. So yeah, many, that's kind of what I meant by grassroots. Many people are finding us and um, wanting to just engage on this, paying out of pocket. That's why we try to keep the prices low so that they can upskill in the middle of the school year. You know, what am I going to do for Johnny tomorrow, um, because he's two, two, three, four, or five years behind. And even now, um, especially now, I should say, um, post COVID, um, scores in general are quite low um, in the U.S. At least our recent data. And so, there's a lot of um, urgency on this. Another thing that's been happening um, since maybe about four or four years ago, I think um, there's a movement called the science of reading movement that's caught a lot of attention in reading education circles, um, partly through moms who are, um, who are parent parents of dyslexic children, trying to get um, government officials to make changes so that the instruction was in align with science and also because of um, a journalist Emily Hanford who has created a lot of audio documentaries and now has a podcast called sold a story that's just six episodes that shows what's going on with this disconnect between what we've been told and what actually the science says about how to teach reading so the science of reading movement has generated a lot of interest for catching up with what they were not told in college and so that is also bringing a lot of people to us they want to um, abandon um, some of the practices like I've mentioned the three queuing system um, that helps kind of kids ignore print or minimize it where they really need to focus on print and work through it and so um, that's, that's a lot of who we serve, but we're also reaching out. As teachers see the results for their kids, they're, then they're trying to get their school on board or their district. So that's another um, the next step for us. Yeah, and, and I think I was just thinking as you were explaining it before, that there's a real learning bottleneck, isn't there? If, you, if a child is struggling to read and to understand, then you know, whether you take any of the subject material um, as a whole, if they're just they're learning generally. So if you can kind of start to really alleviate that as an issue, then the rest of your teaching life and world and your community at large within your school environment is going gonna, is gonna to thrive in, in a very positive way. So uh, I can understand why so many people are really wanting to sort of remove that issue themselves because it, it just un- probably unleashes the rest of their, their year to, to really sort of support 
in, in a much more productive way than they would have done, like I say, than waiting till the next time. Hopefully they get the, the answers that they need. Right. So true. And, you know, the system moves on. If the child does not learn to read, the system in general does not solve that problem. And, and we know like uh, almost um, nine out of 10 kids, if they're not reading by the end of first grade, they're going to be struggling the rest of their lives. And that's what teachers are so frustrated with. And so, yeah, get to the source and solve that. And so many other benefit, beneficial things will flow out of that. And I mentioned that stat. And sometimes I, I, I just want to make the make the point that's the system that's not some sort of developmental barrier that a child can't learn after age seven it's just we don't have a great system for that and I think I think it really is where we talk a lot about community here on the podcast and I think it's everyone who is involved in any child's life and so like you said it it may well be the parents it may well be the school it may be an individual tutor or, or a teacher but wherever that touch point is and wherever they can get that support and that personalized understanding, because like I say, as soon as someone starts to struggle, it's that kind of, well, we know just being in school for six or seven hours a day isn't actually helping. It needs to be something a little bit more kind of personal and developed around what my child needs, because obviously, generally speaking, it's not working. Mm-hmm. And then, you, like I say, you start to br- bring in all of these different people from different areas of the community around this child to start to sort of really understand how you can support in the different roles. And I think that's sort of an interesting facet, really. Yes, we, um, we, we would probably do a lot better if we could build better alignment across, across all levels of the school and all levels of the community and home. It is tricky to, on this issue, because again, the teachers are kind of, have been told to send kids one direction, kind of like I said, away from paying too much attention to print, whereas parents kind of intuitively think, oh, I want you to pay attention to the print because that's how you learn to read. And then they're, if they're in conflict, that's mixed messages for the child. So I think that's it's exciting that the science of reading is, movement is bringing this um, awareness to the fore. So some teachers are, are um, looking to... Uh, discover what's really the science says and not just follow the gurus that were um, kind of brainwashing us for so many <laughs> decades publishers uh, some a lot of university professors it's it's been strange I, I really do encourage your audience to check out that sold a story podcast because this <clears throat> journalist has revealed how wacky it is that um, an idea which has been debunked for decades is still like got a stranglehold on many of our classrooms. Although, like I said, England has been doing something different for a, a good long while now. And I, and I think the science is something which I I've certainly leaned into um, from my experience of teaching, because one of the things which I think um, drummers specifically find hard is the fact that they that they expect to be able to move two arms and two legs together straight off <laughs> and and one of the first things I say is that it's not something that you've had to coordinate very much in your life before normally it's one or the other or a combination of the two but it's something that develops I mean which is the same for, for all learning but when they understand that you know there's that connection between I know that you know what you're trying to do but you need to create these neural pathways which are going to join these things up and then once you've done it once hence the reason for doing it slow you can then repeat it and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, which is why what you're doing now, five minutes 
um, from when we started is now much easier than it was before. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sort of that sort of real understanding of what's going on then sort of releases that pressure for why can't I do it? It's just because you need some of these amazing skills of being patient and like say understanding the science and how, how the brain's working and how the body's working because then you realise, oh, well, I, why would I expect myself to be able to do these things straight off? And, and, and I guess in the same sort of way as reading, it's like, well, why should I know how these words all go and how they get put together mm-hmm. if I don't quite understand the, the, the way that that develops? And, and also from, like say, from a teacher's point of view, if they don't understand how all that works, then you're kind of just sort of sort of banging a nail that's not quite going in straight. Yeah, so true. And what's been exciting about the science is that in the last 20 or so years, we have even brain scans so we can see um, images that align with the science that had come before. So scientists in doing experiments or, um, had explained to us, like I mentioned earlier, that reading is this connection of sounds or semantics and phonology, the phonemic awareness component and the, or the spelling system. All of that's getting connected, um, and they, they're different there are different mechanisms of what our brain can do. And sure enough, the brain scan shows that they kind of, figuratively speaking, they light up at different times in alignment with those those elements of reading. And even more exciting, we can see poor readers use a different part of their brain that, as compared to a good reader. And when you intervene with a highly effective intervention, those brain scans of poor readers actually change. There's even studies that um, show change in as little as two months on a, a scan. You know, the brain has been forever changed because that's what actually a good reader is, is that they've, they've transformed in, uh, their brain into a brain that can, can read. And you can't not read a word that's presented to you anymore um, for the rest of your life unless there's a brain injury. And I imagine that a musician's brain is going to be look different on a scan as well after they've become skilled whereas at the beginning it's it's a it's just a those pathways haven't been laid down yeah absolutely and, and, and you're absolutely right i've seen some of those sort of diagrams and from a musician's point of view your brain's literally lighting up on yeah. like it's on fire because it's using yeah. so many different so many different areas right. and i guess that's the thing about sort of the natural musician or the people that are learning that this is all degrees and so some people they just seem to have those connections a little bit more hardwired to begin with sometimes you have to sort of do it yourself but there's no right or wrong it's just a way of sort of developing your way as you, as you go through mm-hmm. um talk us a little bit about those people that come into into the program what's um what's your sort of aim for them to come at get out of it you know understanding the science understanding like you say mm-hmm. the techniques that you're talking yeah. about but what sort of sort of time commitment are we are we talking what's the sort of the, the process right. that people could expect well that's another element that we're trying to to embrace with the, the the concept of simplified and reading simplified that it's not just simplified for the student but it's also simplified for the teacher and so we present in through an eight-hour video course, a simple model for teaching anyone how to read with a three-part lesson plan of rereading for fluency, word work activities where you move letter sounds around and build and read words, and then guided oral reading where you read a new text. And so we reveal how to use that three-component lesson plan and a handful of activities that are very efficient, aligned with the research, and integrate multiple subskills simultaneously. So we reveal how to do that and fold in some research, but our main 
um, emphasis is on learning the activity and also on how to think diagnostically. And this goes back to what you were talking about earlier. When there is um, a challenge you can, um, for, that a child is experiencing, the best instruction is to meet them where they are. And so we give a few rules of thumb to help teachers know how to pinpoint what a child needs, when to move on. And um, the, so the, in eight hours, most, kid, most teachers can implement the Reading Simplified approach with any kid, whether they're five or 15, if they're st- struggling. And that, it may sound like a lot, especially if you're in the middle of the school year, but there are many programs that are um, being taught right now that literally are hundreds of hours. And they lead with the science and then um, have how to, how to actually do the instruction is secondary. And I think that's flipped on its head. We, we discovered that with that previous work I did at the university, um, the targeted reading intervention. Yeah, we taught them an, an approach, very similar three-component model. And, um, but we immediately went into, let's see how you do this with one child. And we watched them on a webcam twice a month and gave them a little bit of feedback so that they could get better with their diagnostic um, instruction. And it was the connection of the science the, and the actual instruction and the working through this, the, in, the knowledge of the system with a specific child and his or her particular problems that made the difference. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that in 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 one respect, sort of the academic learning and the science and the practical implementation. I think we all know that they go so hand in hand, don't they? Because one supports the other, and they, and they kind of sort of walk forward almost like a dog walking together as their as their feet sort of sort of go through. Um, and and just on to your point in terms of the eight hours and those things, I know certainly for me. I'm learning all the time and I'm, you know, from a, a podcasting point of view and an interviewer and that kind of thing. Like I say that there aren't enough hours in the day for so many things that you do, but when you're really into what you're doing, you seem to find that time around your life and it never quite feels like he's like, oh, I need to now go and study. It's that kind of, oh, I'm really excited about learning this new thing because I can see right. how I can implement it into my life, you know. So I was sort of thinking about, you know, times I'm sort of sat in the car you know waiting for my daughter to come out of a gym class or this or that you know like you say the ability now to to learn these things on the go on your phone on a tablet mm-hmm. you know in in that sort of what's officially sort of dead time or could be sort of deemed like that very quickly you can get that learning going and then it becomes sort of a self a self-perpetuating situation where you can immediately then start to like say bring that back into your classroom and you start to see the results and it, and it all just becomes a, a real sort of positive learning experience for yourself and the people that you're supporting rather than i now need to go and do this course which i'm going to be like say sat there for a hundred hours before right. you kind of really get going yeah that's that's our dream for our, our teachers is that they 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 watch a little video and they test out an activity and um, they see how it goes with that child, and then they go learn more, and then they ask questions in a discussion board. And we have a private podcast, so they can do just what you're saying. They're picking up their daughter, and they can listen while they wait, because many of our teachers are gripped with the urgency of this situation. But then also we have teachers that are just so overwhelmed by the demands of the job that learning on the go might not be as as natural and easy for them and we have and we also want to continue the learning yeah it's kind of like we're we're hooking them into this is this this is what you need to learn just to get started but then you know we have like over 35 one hour 
a la carte, so to speak, advanced workshops so they can pick when they're ready for the next step to go deeper, particularly if they have a really struggling reader or they have some issue with multi-syllable instruction or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how I have been um, coming along as um, a reading teacher and as a business person. It's a lot through podcasts and <laughs> on-the-go learning, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think it's um I think it's, I think it's fascinating, and I and I love the way that all these sort of ideas have morphed in in because we have the technology now to do it, and and it can be personal, like you say, what works for one person might not work for the other, but the the process and the option of actually being able to do it in your way works for for both people, and I think that that's that's exciting, and also sort of feeds into what we were saying about what each person needs to learn as a pupil as well. You know, this works for that person didn't work for that person but I've got the skills and the understanding to just adapt it enough to to make it work for the person I'm with now and I, and I think that that's a it's a concept as well it starts to really open up your the excitement channels again in terms of what's possible within your class right so I'm always fascinated by people who are have been in education are in education if there's a teacher or a school experience um which was impactful for you and also maybe how that's kind of sort of steered your your vision and, and your sort of way of working now um, in your sort of current life I've had a number of really exceptional teachers and then I also had some that just weren't as inspired so they're when when you have an exceptional teacher they really just stand out and uh, ironically even though I'm not really that much of a fan of doing math anymore <laughs> got an English major in the university work in reading um, my ninth grade algebra and 10th grade geometry teacher was an exceptional teacher Mrs. Barrington and she even uh, created a little um, cluster of five kids who were doing honors geometry in the middle of a regular ed class just to fill the what a few kids needed you know and that back to what you were talking about like how to meet everyone's needs is so important so she she was innovative and had high expectations really knew her material when this person got stuck she was there to help uh, bridge the gap and she knew how to bridge the gap but then also that extra awareness that there were some kids that needed to go at a faster pace we had one kid who who was you know uh, you don't our SATs are different from your SATs but he was in seventh grade I think he was I got a a really high score in um, a standardized test that um, he hadn't even had the training for and he hadn't even had algebra but he got a high high score that most high school seniors don't even get so this was the type of thing that he, you know he and a few others and I and I got lumped into that group but they 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 needed some acceleration so she created that different kind of environment and it was harder because she had two preps in the middle of one class but um as a result at the time I learned geometry which probably did not come naturally to me and and I and I think for us listening, you can see how how that concept, how those ideas, how that inspiration feeds into exactly how you've talked about your program and and how that works and and how that affects children, which essentially is what we're mm-hmm. trying to do and support, isn't it? Here, so yeah, it's I, I love that sort of those sort of parallels as they come through. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or is there maybe a piece of advice now you give your younger self looking back mm-hmm. and it, it could be professional it could, could be could be personal well 
There are so many um, pieces of advice. I've had a lot of, a lot of people that I've learned from that I knew either, you know, personally, it was an actual teacher on, of mine, or a lot of people that I learned from through podcasts or courses or books. Um, one of the biggest life changes for me in the last eight years has been developing an online business where I had no, um, I had no background for that. Um, I do a lot of public speaking and I used to be terrified of it. I used, I used to hate tech and now I have like 300 different software that I've, I've used. (laughs) Um, the idea that it's okay if you don't know something right now, you can continue to learn and you will build skills and it will become easier. Um, and that, and that's going to work. Um, it'll work for you. Um, that's something that I wish my younger self knew because it was, it was um, very scary and intimidating. But bit by bit, each year I got better, learned more. We're still refining. It's so that lifelong learning is, it's more than ever a possibility. And so go for it. Where, where, what you know, if if you have a vision or a dream, and it seems far off, that's okay. Just take that first step. Yeah, I love that. And I think you need to learn it when you need to learn it, don't you, as well? You know, you may have had tech class when you were in, in elementary school, but it would have had no relevance at all. Until, <laughs> like I say, now you're setting a business right. and, you, and it needs to be like that. Plus the fact that tech would have been completely different anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, it's different like <laughs> from six months ago, right? Just yeah, in time it, learning, they say. That's what I did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, is there a podcast, video, film, book, song, anything which has had, a, had an impact? And, and again, professional law or, or personal, and, and why was that? Mm-hmm. Again, I've been kind of obsessing about reading for so long. Um, the one that really changed my life in the 90s was when I was struggling with how to teach reading, and I stumbled upon reading Reflex by Carmen and Jeffrey McGinnis. And also, um, around the same time, the book Why Our Children Can't Read by Diane McGinnis. And those have directed what I do as a teacher for a long time. And so those are oldies, but I highly recommend them. Yeah, I think when they've got good content and they've got things which have made a big difference, it, it could be old or new, can't it? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're gems and they're, and they're things which really kind of uh, help us on our way, both in terms of that process and also, like I say, it could be and just the content <laughs> itself. Um, and just to finish off, the acronym FIRE is incredibly important for us. And by that, we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What's the thing that strikes you when you when you hear those words or one that sort of, sort of stands out to you, which you, you kind of relate to the most? Mm-hmm. Those are great. I love them, Mark. Um, feedback is a really big deal, and particularly in reading. And when you're learning um, how to read the words and also when you're trying to develop better comprehension strategies as an older student, um, there are some studies of, there's some, there's somewhat small pockets of, of, of communities, but there's more than at least three studies in the U.S. where kids, um, they demonstrate that kids are only reading orally about one minute a day. And, you know, just imagine how trying to become good as at a dr- as a drummer if you only practice for one minute. Um, and so it, as teachers are upskilling in this science of reading movement, if they can find a way to 
organize their classroom so that each child, particularly the struggling reader, gets more time to practice reading aloud where the teacher has an opportunity to provide feedback. That is a very powerful lever that we have and on our side. And I think we underutilize it. We have those kids for six hours. Um, not, very few things matter as much as them practicing their reading and getting feedback. We know feedback is a very significant way to accelerate achievement. And so when they misread the word cloud because they say clode, you can point to the OU and say, well, what else could that be? And that little clue might help them figure it out on their own or with that support. And then the next time it's easier for them. And so I, I would love to see teachers finding the time to get more reading practice so that they also have time to give feedback and those kids will take off in their reading. I love that. And it's so beautifully put because you know that that child who's struggling with cloud sat there on their own, reading on their own, would be there all day because (laughs) they've got no one giving them that feedback, which would take a split second just just to steer that ship slightly and then just makes all the difference. So tell us exactly where people can find out more about everything that you're doing and, and, mm-hmm. and get involved and uh, and get the support that you're able to give them? Well, we um, can be found at readingsimplified.com. And most of, on most of the socials, that's what we are, Reading Simplified. Um, on Twitter, where I'm at um, Read Simplified. But we have uh, one little game that is also very helpful that a lot of people, teachers and parents included, have used. We call it Switch It, and it connects those sounds and those symbols like I was talking about really clearly, and they figure out how the code works rapidly. So if folks want to play one of our games that we call Switch It, they can get some free materials and some watch some free videos to learn about that. So that's at Reading Simplified dot com forward slash switch dash it and that might be fun for for anyone out there who has a a beginning or struggling reader yeah love that well Marnie thank you so much for sharing your story and also the 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 excitement I think of of teachers who will feel like they can make a difference to support Mm -hmm. themselves to to help the the pupils that they have in their class and and like we said maybe change some of that bottleneck that they're feeling above and beyond just what they're doing from a um, a direct reading learning experience as well and I think that's really powerful for for every every child's learning so yeah thanks so much for being here and for sharing all that inspiration it's my pleasure thanks for all all the great questions Mark thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community with over 300 episodes I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.